All right, we'll go ahead and get started. Um, Kyle Baker is here uh, today, standing in the uh, advisory and show running position. So, uh, <laughs> Kyle, would you like to introduce yourself? I, I'm a poor substitute for Daniel Wangram, but I've been friends with Micah uh, for about coming on 10 years. Yeah, at least, I think, years, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So, you may not know me, you may know him, but uh, we've been friends for a long time. Uh, and uh, Kyle has a family here. Uh, and yeah, so my wife's singing at the 11 o'clock service, yeah. and then the, we met trying to make a record together 12 years ago. We just got talked, like, met at his house in Antioch and talked for three hours, and no work got done. <laughs> yeah, so, there, so now we're bringing that to you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Daniel started us on this process of um, saying prayers written by and for scientists. So. This is what we're going to go with today. Can everybody see the text? So uh, I'll lead, but we're going to read this together as our prayer. So, our God and our Father, we thank you, God, for your infinite wisdom, the unfathomable depth of your knowledge, and your boundless creativity. You created things into being that had never existed before. Your knowledge knows no end. We pray for the men and women of science who are also men and women of faith. We know that scientists discover, you reveal, and all are blessed. We ask, Lord, that you would give them wisdom, discernment, and a fortified faith that allows them to remain in awe of the things you have created. Lord, we pray that as our days and weeks and months and years unfold before us, that you would provide your people with great minds eager to learn about your creation and share their findings with the watching world. God, we pray that your illnesses be discovered in your time, that advances would be made in health that gave life to all. We pray that the work of scientists would be rooted in an ethic that values life and the betterment of humanity. Lord, let those you gifted with a curious mind, a steady hand, and an unwavering faith be strengthened by you. Let them remember that our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven. Amen. Um, so we've also been doing a uh, short reading, and so this is um, a responsive reading we did last week. We're going to do it again this time. Uh, Kyle's going to uh, read the, the parts in white, and you will read the parts in blue. So we'll start here. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens for the praise of children and infants. You have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. All right, uh, I love that. Um, so what we've been doing over the last few weeks, um, we, have, uh, we started off talking about the relationship between um, science and faith and the, the paths that people can follow in this relationship. So we talked about three paths, path of conflict, 
path of irrelevance, where we see them as, as unrelated to each other, and a path of relationship, where we see science and faith as deeply integrated. And we believe that relationship is where we uh, need to aim, that that's the healthiest place for this generation and the next generation and the generation beyond. And so the objective for this class is that we move from fear, anxiety, and apathy to seeing science as part of the work of God, part of our relationship with God, part of a revelation of God. And so we've talked about in this class um, several scriptural truths. And the first one we talked about is that God is creator. We talked about how that is a core teaching of the Christian tradition. The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the first page of the Bible, the first verse of the Bible. God is our creator. And we looked at scripture that said that because God is our creator, that God has put his knowledge, his wisdom, the revelation of his glory and power into creation. And so scripture calls us to seek out the knowledge that's in creation so that we can learn and we can understand more about God and then apply that to our lives so that we can live in a more ethical, a more knowledgeable, or more wise way. And we looked at, again, scriptures from Psalms, Proverbs, the New Testament, the Old Testament, all through that call us to seek out that knowledge and wisdom in creation. So, um, if God is creator and creation is revelation, I think this raises a question, which is, who are we? And um, last week, we started to kind of go down the road of talking about that. And we started um, uh, at the beginning, where everything starts. We started in Genesis. And so we looked at uh, Genesis uh, and just kind of went through Genesis 1. And we looked at the things that it tells us about what God is, who God is, and what God does. Um, and so we say first verse, right? In the beginning, God created. This is who God is. God is our creator. We looked at the fact um, in verse 2, the spirit of God was hovering. There is an active engagement um, in this. God speaks. God sees that the light is good and separates the light from the darkness. So God is seeing and evaluating and speaking into creation. God calls the light day and the darkness he calls night. He's naming aspects of creation. Um, and this continues, right? So um, in day two, and day three, and day four, God says, God made, God separated, God named, God blesses, this kind of thing. Um, in um, day three, um, he says, um, let the land produce vegetation. So God actually calls uh, creation to participate in the creative process itself. God empowers creation to actually uh, bring forth vegetation. And then God, the land does this, and God sees it and says that it is good. And, um, and, and so on with lights and the creation of sun and moon and stars to govern. God says, let the water teem with living creatures. Let birds fly across the earth, above the earth across the vault of the sky. Um, God sees it as good. God is calling forth life and um, delighting in the life that um, comes. And, so, and God blesses them. It says, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. All right, so um, 
this is um, the, the kind of behavior that we've seen from God in Genesis 1. So I want to pause here and look at what we've um, seen God doing. We've seen God observing and evaluating creation, saying whether it was good, okay? naming and categorizing creation. We've seen him cultivating and calling forth life. We've seen him um, organizing the created order so that it can bring forth life. We've seen him empowering creation, and we've seen him blessing creation. These kinds of things are going to be really important over the next several weeks in a number of different ways. But this is um, something that I think we should follow Scripture's understanding. This reveals the nature and the character and the purposes of God. This tells us something about who God is as a creator. So next we get to Genesis 1, 26 through 28. And this uh, passage, we're going to talk about this kind of in depth. But it starts off like this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness. So I want to stop right there. Who are we? God's creation. Yeah. What else? Who is us? Who is us? That's a good. That's a good. Uh, that's a deep question. Yeah. Um, some people say it's the Trinity. Some people say it's God speaking to angels. Um, some people say it's God speaking in a kind of pluralistic, like majestic plural, like a, a king would say, "We will do this," something like that. Um, Yeah, so the, I think the early uh, Christians of like the 3rd and 4th centuries would have said exactly that. Um, that was how they interpreted it, yeah. We were created to be created. Okay, say more about that. Um, I mean, God, like you said, God is creator, and um, that is part of what we are, who we are and what we do is to create yeah. And that in, in, in creating or being creative, that is a, a way to reflect God. Yeah. Yeah. We're created with tasks and purposes. Yeah. I like that. Anything else? I think it's the resource of uh, human dignity, often. Okay. Say more about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, there's a character in nature that's here that can be, that can be pointed to. There's something. Yeah, so. Yeah. Uh, I don't know Hebrew. Is this, is it, how close is this to the Hebrew as far as the translation? 
<laughs> well, I don't know Hebrew either. Um, so, um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, there's a lot to be said here. Uh, we'll say some more about it. But I, I want to I wanna suggest that there is an answer here. I like to be very simplistic. I like, to, I like when there are simple answers to things. And so when I think about someone checking into a hotel, and they go to the, the night table there, they open the drawer, and there's the Gideon Bible, and they open it up to the first page, and they read through the first page of it. Right? By the time they get to this verse right here, what have they seen? We've already talked about it. Seen God is a creator. Right? This is what God's creative process looks like. And now, it says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So we are made, I'm going to suggest, to be creators made in the image of our creator, called to imitate our creator. So in order to, to flesh this out, Let's kind of think about this a little bit. I want to read through the, uh, the rest of those two verses. I'm going to read through it in uh, the, uh, the NIV and then the message. And God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And here's how the message renders this. God spoke, Let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflecting our nature so that they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. God blessed them, prosper, reproduce, fill earth, take charge, be responsible for fish in the sea and birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. I like uh, the message uh, brings in responsibility here. Um, but my, my feeling is, and tell me if you think this is correct, um, I feel like uh, that we uh, have been hesitant about this passage. I feel like we have a bit of tension around this. Do you think that's true? And if so, what do you think that's why do you think that's the case? When you say we, who do you mean? Well, I, so I, I do mean um, uh, Christians. Um, okay. And um, um, I, it may not be something you feel, so I don't know. Um, but I've felt this in, in a number of different contexts. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. If you think of the Texas guys who think God gave them oil, 
Yeah. Right? Like yeah. there's this, you see their oil as right. the ministry of the Lord, like the oil extraction of the ministry yeah. of the Lord, which I was just like, I feel in my heart they're wrong, and I'm just trying to figure out where. <laughs> well, there's probably a lot of layers of thought in that. Um, yeah. I don't like the name God-like. Okay. Because um, I don't really think that that's what that thing means, that that's what it meant. Okay. I think being in the image of God is different than being God-like. Okay. There's definitely a connotation to God-like that seems like it could be... Um, so that I think you're right um, there's a, a larger thing here which I, I want to say we're familiar with this language of image and likeness and it kind of um, sometimes when you get familiar with something you kind of you can kind of tone it down and not pay attention to it right I'm, I'm going to suggest that saying that uh, God made us in his image and likeness struck the ancient world as incredibly, incredibly, profoundly um, risky. If you think about who this message came to, so normally when I talk about Genesis, uh, I start off talking about the Babylonian creation story. The Jewish people according to scripture, had lived in slavery and exile. That was the world they knew. And in those cultures, as they were slaves and exiles, they heard creation stories that said something profoundly different than this. The Babylonian creation story says, it, it, it resembles this. The, it, it resembles uh, Genesis 1 in the sense that, um, that uh, Dracula resembles Twilight. Like there's some similar uh, characters that are involved in the story, but the story they're telling is actually dramatically different. And the story the Babylonian creation tell says is that humans were created to be the slaves of the gods. The god of the Babylonian creation story creates in violence. The god of the creation story only kills and destroys, and that is what creation is. God is not creator. God is violent. Creation is not revelation. Creation is the debris of God's violence. And humans are not made in God's image, made to rule. They are made as God's slaves. That's the story that the Jews were told by their surrounding culture. And they, uh, this message is revealed to them, and it says the opposite of those things. God is creator. God creates as a revelation of his character and nature. He creates from love, and he empowers his people to, um, to rule, not to be slaves. The message that the Jewish people were hearing from their culture is, you are made to be slaves, stay there. And the message their scripture said, told them is, no, God is here to lift you up and give you a God-like role in creation. Um, how do you reconcile verse 26 and 27 when 26 says, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness, 27 says he created them male and female. You're asking how male and female reflect the image of God. No, if, if, how did he get females if he is, is male 
<laughs> you're a, yeah, you're asking, you're asking a question I do not know the answer to. Um, come up with one. So, I've wondered about this for a long time. One of the reasons for friends is that my dad's a secondary professor. So, one of the one of the kind of progressive answers is perhaps God is not is is not does not really have a gender, and both both human gender reflect aspects of who God is. Because we're going to take that that sentence is true. We're also going to take the fact that men and women are different. And he studies like both of them. So what is that? Like that's one reason. Um, I don't know that that's historically how everyone's always read it, but that's how that question was answered at my kitchen table. Um, this passage. So we we talked a little bit about why some people felt tension around this, and I want to um, I, I want to kind of like draw this out because so I went to an interfaith um, conversation several years ago. And it, which was on environmentalism and faith. And they actually asked the question, they raised the question, which I think is, uh, if I were running an interfaith dialogue, this is not a kind of question I would ask. But I, they asked the question, which religion is worst for the environment? Wow. So, what the, and what were the choices? <laughs> all the religions, right? Like all, all the religions were open. There were many different uh, religions represented. They put a religion or they, they, I don't think they did. But so, what do you think? What do you guess that they answered? Atheism. That's not what they said. No. Christians. So the unanimous answer from everyone except me was was Christian. He was like, Christianity is the worst religion for the environment. And they pointed to this passage right here. Judaism too. Right. Yeah, this is this is Judaism, this is Christianity. Um and um and so I did I did push back on this. Um and um uh, but it, it was interesting to me how that just that assumption just kind of flowed with uh with people's assumptions. And it's because in talking about this, people have des have described this as a kind of carte blanche to exploit the world, right? We are put here to you know. This is what the Judeo-Christian worldview tells us that we are that we have carte blanche to exploit exploit the world, burn the forest, whatever. Like you know, this is the kind of uh, way that people talk about this, and I think this is um, profoundly mistaken. And I think it's important that we actually get this right. Because this is a foundational text for how all of Scripture from beginning to end understands um, what humans are and what the Christian story is about. Okay? So this is where I want to... Let's think about the context again. Right? We've just opened up Genesis chapter 1. We've been reading through. God says... Let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over all the earth, right? Um, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over all these things, right? Like who? Right. The rule, the dominion, the, the image, the nature, the likeness, all of this is like God. And the God that we have seen revealed in Genesis 1 is a God who loves and empowers and delights in creation, who uplifts 
creation so that life can flourish. That's what this means in this context, right? This is not go out and exploit things. That's not the role here. The role is that God is in, this, in the business of bringing forth, cultivating life, and he has made us so that we can do the same kind of work and called us to do it. Someone said there's active, there's roles, there's tasks here, right? This is some of the tasks. Um, yeah, any, any comments or questions about that? The, the people answering the question at that conference were probably conflating what God intended with how yeah. Christians sometimes act, yeah. which yeah. are not guaranteed, guaranteed to be the same in the same way that what God created is right. church right. is great, and, but it's also filled with humans, and there's many times where it's gone yeah. in a bad way. Yeah. It doesn't mean church is bad. What do you think subdue means? Or could mean in that. Um, so I think uh, I'm just going to tell you what I what I actually do think. So um, there's a in the Gospels Jesus calms the storm, right? Um, I think thinking about like what Jesus does narratively, he's going around healing, right? And so he I think he's healing the storm. He's it's looking at the storm as a reflection of a, a, an illness or a disorder in creation, and he's healing it. And I think that's what's um, the idea here, that there is, um, there is the potential for disorder, potential for chaos, and humans are called to go in and kind of pacify that, um, that disorder. Um, and um, yeah, I'll talk more about that in a second. Any, any other? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, so, yeah, into the comment about we've done many bad things, right? We're Christians. We don't really have to be told that um, humanity has corrupted its its ways. That's part of our story, right? And um, and when we realize how profoundly powerful God has made us then it does mean that we have profound power to corrupt um, each other and the world and even perhaps the cosmos as a whole. This is a, a part of the scriptural story. So um, th there is a, a set of significant things. This actually becomes really significant in the scientific revolution, understanding, thinking through what it means for us to live in a fallen world in relation to this calling. Um, so we'll talk about that in, over the next couple weeks more in depth, but um, Josh has recently said we want to be a Genesis 1 and 2 church, not a Genesis 3 church, right? We're seeking to live into that original calling and then to understand what that means for uh, us as we live in a fallen world. So we need to get the foundation right, and then we, um, we kind of recognize and, and contextualize um, who, how, how that actually plays out and what we need to do about oil in Texas and, uh, and so forth. <laughs> There's this, this subset of, like, they see their oil companies in the industry getting into them. Yeah, because they discovered you know, in a revelation that they had yeah. oil on their list. And they're gajillionaires. Yeah. Um, I, there's a, there is a lot. I mean, I think you could talk about this 
this passage forever. Um, this is, um, talk about human dignity. In the 300s, St. Gregory of Nyssa was citing this. Um, he looked at um, slavery. He's, he looked at uh, this, I, you've collected um, male and female slaves. He's, he's like, how dare you? Take someone who was given the image of God and called to rule over creation and treat them as a slave. That's how this was understood in that context. So, so the last words, take, treat them as a slave. I'd be like, okay, well, where does it say that in the text? It doesn't. Right. So why, you know, the, the, why is the con- why are you saying it like that? It's because yeah. that's your perception on it, and then, then that's where I think that the answer would be. Yeah. Yeah, responsibility, although that was in the message, but, you know, yeah. so most people in the world probably don't know the message. They yeah. know the traditional, yeah. right? So rule. Okay, yeah. well, I guess I'd answer, a good king rules whereas he wants his people to prosper and be healthy yeah. long-term. A bad king is worried about himself, etc. So yeah. um, it goes back to then the fall and, um, yeah. you know, you go right back to that, and, and, and that's, that's the answer, I think. But, yeah, I yeah. agree. It's an inflammatory question that's not going to lead anywhere except uh, uh, yeah, the conference you were at. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I yeah. think also um, when people enslave another, another people, yeah. they try to convince themselves that they're not human. Right. Yeah. And then so they feel like that that's an animal. Or right. That's not really human. This is not an image bearer of God. Right. This is yeah. not. Um, and that's think, what we I were, think that's you know, worthy of noticing when the people around you. school of God because there's all these terrible things and there's this really great study of basically places that were colonized by entrepreneurs and places that were colonized by missionaries and the quality of life in communities in Africa that were colonized by missionaries they did things like free hospitals free schools, free libraries like you know, who gets to vote and what, like all of that stuff one of the core differences key distinctions was who gave dignity to the most There are plenty of uh, examples of, of Christians doing really bad things, right? We, we know that. How much of Genesis 1, how do we differentiate between what was actual literal and what was given to a people that, so they could understand it that might be symbolic? Um, that is a big question. I'm going to defer on that one. Uh, I, I'm happy actually to dig into that kind of question as much as we want, um, if if people are interested in that, um, yeah. Yeah, my, and I'm going to be gone for the next three weeks. Right? Yeah. So, but that's the question. So, when my atheist friend or yeah. the guy in the hotel that reads the first chapter, right, and then he asks me the next day, well, what's going on here? We know it's not seven days. How do I explain? How do I reconcile that text? Yeah. To what we know today. Okay. I, you know, yeah. That's my, that's my question, which I. 
if I miss it in the next three weeks, you can tell me. Okay, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll probably dwell on that in a couple of different ways. Um, so my short, my short answer today is we, we start with this. We start with what this tells us about the character and nature of God and, it, and what it tells us about who we are. And I think that is actually an incredibly powerful way to start thinking about these questions of science. Um, so uh, we've said God is creator, creation is revelation. We are creators made to imitate our creator. So a couple of things we probably want to uh, point, point out here. We've already talked about it being in God's image. We follow God's calling. God has called us into specific tasks related to this. We're not kind of on our own here. We're not just making it up as we go. We actually have a calling and a likeness to follow. Um, so that kind of moves away from that kind of carte blanche exploit uh, model, right? Um, and also, we should understand our creativity is a reflection and a participation in God's creativity, right? So when the land brings forth vegetation, we understand that's both the land that God has empowered and actually the work of God, right? And this is the same thing that's true for us. When we create, we are doing that in participation in God's own creativity. And, and in fact, we are called to reflect on God's creativity so we can learn from it so that we can imitate it. Um, and importantly, as several people have pointed out, this is not passive. This is an active calling. It involves work. It involves effort. And I think just one of the easiest ways to see that, there's tons of ways to see this in, the, in Genesis as a whole. But Genesis 2, like basically the first thing it says about humanity. Uh, so it, God gave the calling and the definition of humanity in Genesis 1. Now he's going to implement that, like help humanity start living this out. So the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. That's active words. It's word, it, they are words that involve, that imply the use of tools and activity and working towards um, dealing with problems that arise, with chaos that arises, with helping to actually make it a place for flourishing. So God is not done God has created a world that we can enter into and help to create and cultivate life within. I've looked at this across a couple of different translations. The message says, work the ground. Uh, the NRIRV says, farm its land and take care of it. Um, the New Revised Standard says, till it and keep it. So these are active callings, right? These are, are um, a calling to actually do something in the world from the beginning. Before the fall, we enter into a world in which we have an active role given by God. The new Jewish, the Jewish translation uh -huh. is uh, put him in the garden to cultivate and care for him. Yeah. 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 So would you say the active role is primarily agrarian? I think in, in the early, uh, in the Hebrew scripture, it's envisioned as agricultural, right? Um, it's, um, it doesn't just involve cultivated animals and plants, though. Psalm 8 talks about the, the wild animals, right? So there is a, there's a focus on, on life and the ecosystem as a whole. Um, but yeah, it's, it's thought about in terms of creatures. Um, and uh, this is true in the scientific revolution as well, um, which we'll talk about next week. Yeah. 
going back to, I think, verse 26. Yeah. It says, in his image and his like, God's likeness, yeah. so that you can rule. Yeah. It doesn't say, so that you can create. Yeah, so... So isn't that yeah, so changing the word? Well, I would say, how does God rule? I would say Genesis 1 is a depiction of God ruling. That is what God's rule looks like. Um, and you also say, like, in some of those verses, you sin and says, create him in his image, and then, and then it talks about God creating, 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 like, yeah. repetitively. Yeah. But it could, um, at the very least, imply something there. Yeah, I... We, we, Psalm 8, which we read at the beginning, right, raises this question, who are we? And it, it says, essentially, look at, like, we are so small in the cosmic order of things, and yet we have been given this calling, this role, this ability to rule all of these created things. He says everything. And that vision of what it means to rule is, again, agricultural. It is one of cultivating life and, and calling it forth. Um, I, I think there are a lot of other scriptures we could look at uh, that do that. We have just a few minutes, so I'm probably I'm going to have to skim over this next part. But I wanted to ra raise the question, does science actually reflect what scripture says about who humanity is? I think the answer is yes. Science actually does give us a way to think, in many different ways, to think about who humanity is. And one of the examples that I like to turn to is this. So anyone uh, have any idea what we're, what we're picturing here? That's the beer right that killed off the dinosaurs. Yeah, this is, the, this is a picture of the, the moment right before uh, mass extinction, right? Um, it's amazing they had cameras. Yeah, I know. It's, it's like so photorealistic. That's so good. Yeah, here's another one. This, this uh, T-Rex is not happy about this. Um, yeah, so this is actually, so this is called the Cretaceous Paleogene Extinction Event. And um, this is actually something you can pick up in um, all, all over the world. Uh, you can look in the, in the rocks and you can see a layer. Uh, the, the guy's finger is right under um, the boundary. This is the Cretaceous uh, Paleogene boundary. And it reflects what happened at that moment. Um, and uh, so you can, you can see this all over the world. These are pictures from the Netherlands. Um, uh, again, uh, pointing at the boundary. This is a picture from Colorado. This was first described in 1943. You can, uh, there's a tiny arrow pointing to where that boundary line is. Um, this is in Poland. Um, you can see these people are kind of uh, digging around at, this, at that boundary there in the middle. And what, this, uh, what they can tell about this boundary is um, that Right, uh, right about where the, the boundary hits, there's a massive spike of um, iridium. And um, that is something that comes from an asteroid, not something that is in high concentrations on Earth. 
So that is part of the, the signature of that event. So it's a recreation of life. <laughs> okay, uh, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick that question down the road. But I think um, this uh, student uh, picture, I think, just captures it. Uh, on, on this end of the boundary, there are dinosaurs. On that side of the boundary, there are no dinosaurs. Um, so this is actually um, a massive, massive event. It didn't just um, cause the uh, extinction of the dinosaurs. It was equ the equivalent of millions of nuclear weapons uh, detonating simultaneously. It generated mega tsunamis um, over 300 feet. Some people think it may have even got up to a mile high waves coming out of this. Um, <clears throat> hundreds of billions of tons of material, including sulfur, were shot into the atmosphere, creating a worldwide blackout. 75 to 100 percent of the world's forests burned uh, from this, and they had freezing temperatures for at least a decade, resulting in 75 percent of the species on Earth, plant and animal, going extinct. That was a massive, massive blow to the ecosystem, the ecology of life. And it left uh, this crater behind, the Chicxulub crater. So, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, so, uh, I, I want to. I usually try to give some current uh, current science news. So, um, here you go. Um, surprise. Uh, no, there's. Uh, this, this is a real headline, that's just from two days ago. It is a little bit misleading because, um, in fact, um, there are tons of um, large stellar bodies uh, on collision course and near-miss um, course with Earth. Uh, this one in the middle, 840 feet, stadium size, it just passed by us uh, yesterday. And I think these are coming uh, tonight, maybe. And um, so things people have said about this, while the chances of a major collision are low in the near term, it is a near certainty that one will happen eventually unless defensive measures are taken. It's 100% certain we'll be hit by a devastating asteroid, but we're not 100% sure when. So this kind of thing isn't just something that happened during the era of the dinosaurs. It could happen uh, virtually at any time. Uh, here's why I'm not um, super worried about this. NASA has been tracking um, every identifiable object in the Earth's vicinity for years now. Everything uh, above a few feet. And we know that things less than a meter hit Earth's atmosphere daily. Um, a things larger than a few meters pass between Earth and the moon several times a month. But the big things that are on the radar, um, uh, we have ideas of, about precisely when they will pass by. And we keep discovering more, we keep tracking these, um, and we are doing great work at, at doing so. Here's why I'm not um, worried, though, not just because we can track these things, but actually because we've developed the means to stop them. And it doesn't even involve Bruce Willis or Ben Affleck. <laughs> um, in, uh, yeah. Um, so in 2022, um, the DART, the Double Asteroid uh, Redirection Test, um, was successful. NASA successfully crash-landed a satellite into 
the moon of this passing asteroid. And they were doing it as a test of how accurately they could deflect asteroids in the case of a collision. And this was incredibly successful. Right? Um, and so it launched uh, November 2021. It uh, landed uh, September uh, in 2022. This is a picture from taken outside of it, looking at the actual collision, the debris that's knocked off of it. They measured its, or its orbit afterwards, and it was um, successfully directed the, as they uh, had planned. This is a picture that the satellite took the last few minutes before it landed. <laughs> um, so I don't want to give you... Uh, it's just like dropping your phone. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, but this was a successful uh, project, and it sets us up for many more such projects in the future. From now on, um, if an asteroid that could have wiped out 75% of life on Earth is headed our way, it will not hit us. It will not destroy the world. It will not destroy the ecosystem. It will not wipe out these planets. There is something out there like that headed our way, and when it gets here, it will encounter human beings practicing science, knowing how to deflect, preserve, protect, uplift, and empower life. That's something that science has shown us just in the last two years that we can do an active role. There is no other species on Earth that can deflect a killer asteroid. No other species in our ecosystem that can do this work. So we have an active role in the creation as God intended it. If we, if God wants to protect and uplift and, and empower life. God put us here to do these sorts of things um, to, to help do so. There's a lot more I could say about this. I know we're out of time. Uh, any last comments or questions? All right. Next week we will talk um, uh, about the scientific revolution. There is a lot more to talk about this stuff too, and I'd love to get into discussion of of how we interpret Genesis. But um, yeah, I'd love to hear the kinds of, of things that you guys are thinking about, like these questions, um, know more about what's on your mind. And uh, so we'll keep, uh, we'll keep exploring. Thank you all so much. <laughs>